Um, so when I became a Christian, I knew nothing. And uh, the great magic of knowing nothing is that when you read stories like this, they are extraordinary. And uh, the sort of downside of being a Christian for quite a long time is that you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard it. And um, so let's pray that today as we engage with this story, we're not like, oh, yeah, I've heard it. But our hearts and our minds wake up to what the Spirit of God wants to ignite in us today. Because his mercies are new every morning. He wants to be merciful to us. He wants to uh, impart his wisdom to us. So John's gospel pays particular attention to one-to-one encounters. And what these one-to-one encounters reveal to us about who Jesus is. And in previous weeks, we have seen Jesus and his mother at the wedding in Cana. And we saw Nicodemus, who came over cover of night for a little one-to-one Q&A with Jesus. And today we join the one-to-one encounter with the Samaritan woman. And these stories have um, some important things in common. Uh, They all explore the theme of who is Jesus. And in the wedding scene, we see Jesus is just an ordinary guy at a wedding. He's just a wedding guest. And then somewhat reluctantly, he responds to the faith of his mother. And he becomes an extraordinary wedding guest. And he changes the water into wine. And as Joe taught us, he reveals himself as the ultimate bridegroom. And in the Nicodemus scenario, we see an ordinary question open up into deep mystery about what it means to not just be born once, but to be born again and to be continuously rebirthed by the Spirit of God. These stories also have in common this sort of underlining theme of water, which you may have picked up. The water is turned into wine. And in in this whole business of rebirth, we're reminded of um, sort of the waters in the womb and also the waters of baptism. And here... In this Samaritan woman's story, we are invited to ponder the water of the well and this mysterious thing called living water. And in each of these cases, Jesus uses something extremely ordinary and commonplace like the water, and he uses it to reveal something extraordinary about himself and wake up the person or the people around him to start wondering, who is this guy? What is he saying? And what does this mean for me? And what does this mean for my world? Alistair McGrath is a scientist and theologian, and he identifies the capacity to wonder, to sort of imagine, to ponder questions and ideas beyond ourselves as a uniquely human trait. And in these stories, we see Jesus inviting people to wonder inviting people to wonder, what do I mean? Who do you think I am? And what would that mean for you? In specific places, at specific times, Jesus invites people to wonder in such a way that their insides are changed. And in the story of this woman, not only is her thinking and her heart changed, but all that change bubbles up to the community around her. So why don't, why don't we say a prayer together to invite the Holy Spirit to effect that kind of transformation in us today? Lord, we present ourselves on a very ordinary Sunday, and we present our very ordinary selves. And Lord, we pray you would send your Holy Spirit 
to stir up the human capacity to wonder within each one of us. Send your Holy Spirit to ignite our imagination to wonder about you, to receive you, and to ponder the amazing truth that you say that you will accomplish in us and through us far more than we could ever think or imagine or even wonder about. Amen. So, thirsty from his journey, Jesus asks the woman for a drink. At the time of writing this gospel, there was a heresy, a kind of wrong understanding emerging among the early Christians. The early Christians were trying to wrap their heads around this idea that, as John explained when we looked at the word becoming flesh, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh, that this crazy thing that God, who was there at the beginning of time, could somehow take on human form. And they, this is like a really difficult concept. And at the point where we have this difficult concept, our invitation is to wonder about it and to imagine and to give ourselves to it. But some of these early Christians were just too freaked out about that, and they couldn't do that. So they're like, oh, well, if God becomes human, he can't be fully human. He can't really have an actual human body with actual human needs. He can't actually... Uh, be vulnerable in the way that we are. And, in, and John had, as he was writing this gospel, he was aware of this heresy, and he's keen to straighten out people's thinking, to iron out this extraordinary wonder that God becomes human. And uh, there's a lovely way that this is uh, expressed in Hebrews, which sums up also the kind of the reason that God takes on genuine flesh. And this is in Hebrews 2, um, roundabout verse 14. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself, this is talking of Jesus, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he, Jesus, did not come to help angels, but came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself was tested by what he suffered. He is able to help those who are being tempted and tested. So in this story, when John writes his gospel, he is keen to highlight at regular intervals this humanity of Jesus, this kind of because it is so important that Jesus can fully experience what it means to be human. And we see that in this story. Just like any human after a long journey, Jesus is tired and thirsty. His body feels weak, just like ours might, and he needs food and water. And he sent the disciples off to get food, and he is sourcing a drink. Jesus is God incarnate, and he knows what it is like to need a drink and to need someone else to get that from him. So this story begins with the very raw humanity of Jesus. He's tired, he's thirsty, and he needs help. 
And it ends, if you remember how Sue read, with an extraordinary revelation of his godness. The woman says, you know, I love it. It's like, um, it's dramatic irony. We play with dramatic irony a lot in theatre, you know, where the audience knows what's going on and the actors don't. And this is a lovely moment of dramatic irony where we know now, we know who Jesus is and that he is the saviour. And she's like, well, seriously, if the saviour of the world was around here, you know, he'd have it sorted. And Jesus is like, yeah. I am that one. And it's a, it's, a fantastic, it's a fantastic kind of journey from his humanity to his godness being revealed at the end. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll pro- proclaim all things to us. And you can imagine Jesus having a little chuckle to himself at that point, be like, look this way, it's me. One of the reasons I love this story is because, how the, because of how the story moves a person, the woman, from very ordinary stuff, needing some water, popping out to the well in the daytime, to extraordinary revelation and incredibly effective mission. Because uh, after all this business with Jesus, and she goes out and tells the other villagers, we hear them gossiping, and they say, it's no longer because of what you told us that we believe, we have heard for ourselves, and we know that he is truly the savior of the world. So let's wonder together how we get from ordinary water gathering to extraordinary encounter with Jesus and amazingly effective mission. Imagine the scene. Jesus, exhausted, rests at the well in Samaria. And to readers of the time, there's an immediate, uh, serious stuff to wonder about at that point. You only have to get that far in the story that Jesus is going through Samaria and sits down and they'll be like, oh, There's a lot to wonder about, a lot of surprise. Shockingly, Jesus has crossed into Sumerian territory, and the Samaritans were not considered real Jews. He's crossing an ethnic boundary, and then, as if that isn't enough, he crosses a further cultural and gender boundary by speaking to a woman in broad daylight in times when a man was not even allowed to look at his own wife in the eye in the daytime. So already, it's really... uh, amazing and it's hot and Jesus is thirsty and the woman goes out when she's thinking no one else is going to be around and then her world is disorientated because some guy some complete stranger says hey can you get me a drink and uh, this is odd and odder still when she points out how odd this encounter is because she says to him how can you do this you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan you can't ask me for a drink the woman is like hang on a minute there are rules in this place their ways of doing life, and that, my friend, is not one of them. She makes a legitimate comment, but Jesus is more interested in things that are not just social conventions. And very quickly, he pushes the conversation on and introduces mystery. He invites her to wake up to wonder. He says to her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God who is saying this to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God who's asking you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. That is a very mysterious way to uh, respond to her cultural objections. The woman is mystified. She's still focusing on the literal water because she's like, hey, mate, you haven't even got a bucket. 
and she knows he can't share her bucket because uh, if he, you know, the Jews thought the Samaritans were ritually unclean. So if he had a drink from her bucket, he would be making himself unclean. So for her, that's beyond the pale. For Jesus, we know he, he gets involved in that kind of thing. We see him raising the dead. Well, no, don't touch a dead body. Hang on, let me just raise this one. Um, oh, don't go near a leper. Hang on, let me just lay hands on this leper and bring about life. For the woman, the culture of the time and the practicalities and the stuff of ordinary life is absorbing her. And Jesus is inviting her to wander beyond the stuff of ordinary life. He's kind of saying to her, there's more to life than well water. There's more to life than social expectations. He is inviting her to wonder about heavenly things. And he makes that same, he extends that same invitation to us. She was concerned about the well, the social conventions, the fact that he didn't have a bucket and he couldn't share hers. I wonder what our well and bucket and social convention worries might be that prevent us from having our eyes on the important things in life, lifting our eyes up to our true identity, that we are children of God. I was wondering what, what uh, these kind of things might be today, and I thought extensions and pensions. And I think I'm more up to the, the uh, kind of around the pension age worries, where my bucket or my well might be, oh, I can't do that because I've got to think about my pension. But I can remember about 20 years ago when I was like, oh, can't give it all up for Jesus because I've got to think about my extension. And so you can think about whether there's something in between extensions and pensions about ordinary life that kind of uh, keeps your eyes down, you know, keeps your eyes down at the well. Because we easily do it, don't we? It's a fantastic trick of the enemy to get our eyes down as often as possible. Think about what's normal, you know, blend in, be like everyone else, just look after yourself, keep your little world safe. And Jesus is inviting her into something else. He carries on, she's eyes down, worried about everyday things. And he says, look, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, this well water. Everyone who drinks of that will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I bring will never be thirsty. I'm going to read it properly. The water I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Verse 13. Everyone who drinks of this water, the well, will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water I will give them will be a spring in them of water gushing up to eternal life. She is intrigued and she lifts up her eyes and she wonders, what does all this mean? But she doesn't just wonder, better still, she curiously participates. She says, okay then, all right, I'll have this living water. Where, where, am, I, where am I gonna get it from? I'll have it. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. I love that line. Don't skip over it. Let's have a look at the detail. Uh, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty. And we're like, yes, 
She's got it. She knows the spiritual meaning. It's not really about having a drink. It's about, you know, satisfying your spiritual thirst. And then she says, so I never have to come back to this well again. And so you can see that actually what she's doing is she's sort of a bit there. She's like, I want what you've got, but she's still thinking, yeah, I don't want to go back to that well if there's an alternative to dragging water back from that place. And I really like this because it's like she's saying yes to Jesus whilst her understanding is partial. And I think... I think that is a sort of spiritually, a very important spiritual practice. Because if we wait for certainty, we never adventure into faith. Part of um, following Jesus is uh, stepping forwards only when we know a little, because we want what he have, has, but we may not understand it in full. And so I think she's a wonderful example of the curious participant. She's going to not just be curious looking, but she's going to place her life into this. And she says yes to the mysterious wonder of the living water that never runs out. And uh, you think, you know, Jesus has pushed her pretty far, really. Her understanding's really developed. But then he pushes her a little bit further and he says, okay, great. Could you go and get your husband? And this is a really, uh, we see Jesus do that a lot. It's like, come and follow me, now go and bring people back to me. So this go and bring thing, it's like, um, it's an important way that Jesus operates. He says, oh, go and bring your husband to me. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, yes, you're right, you've had five. And the one you're living with isn't your husband. Imagine how her wonder is triggered by that. As if she's not had her, like, paradigms messed up enough. Then this guy shows that he completely, you know, knows about her life. But he doesn't turn her away because he knows about her life. He's like, that's true. Go and get, go and get your husband. And uh, she must have been full of puzzlement because she stays there and she says, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Yeah, well, he just has. And I, I love the irony in that as well. It's so, um, it's so well crafted that Jesus is there telling her, proclaiming all the things. She's like, well, if you were really the Messiah, you'd do it. And he's just done it. And that made me wonder a little bit about how many times am I like, God, I'll do that if you give me a sign. And he's like, you've had about three, but you're like <laughs> waiting for another one. <laughs> or you kind of know God just wants you to be adventurous. And you're sort of, oh, well, Jesus, if it's really you, then you, you would tell me and then I would do it. And I think in this story, we see that knowing a little is enough. That is the thing. Knowing a little is enough. And Jesus is really kind to her. He says, well, actually, it's me. I am he. And still with the wonder question in her mind, she drops her jar and she heads back to the village. Now, this dropping the jar thing is quite interesting. It's like, it's sort of like suddenly the actual physical water is less important. That is not the most important thing. You know, the pension and the extension on the floor because her heart has been filled with a different paradigm, a different way of seeing and a different way of living. But it's, she's still so much like, well, I don't know if she's like you, but I can really identify with her because her faith and her understanding is still really partial because um, she says, where are we? In verse 27, 
Then, oh, sorry, 28. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And so even then, she's still got this question. And it's a sort of bit of a lie, isn't it? Because he hasn't told her everything she's ever done. He's told her a little bit about what she's ever done. But the, the, what that sort of, what that exaggeration tells us is the power of that prophetic insight to her has made her feel like Jesus knows everything she's ever done. So I love this picture of her. She's like, wow, hang on a minute. He said he's Jesus. I need to go and tell people, don't need that. Go over here. Guys, this guy, you know, he's told me everything I ever know. Could he be, could he be the Messiah? She's, she takes her question to the people. So she's not the kind of evangelist who uh, you, one might want to be, you know, where you've read, you've done all the training, and <laughs> you know all the answers. She's like got the question. She's like, this guy has messed with my head. Could he be the Messiah? Come and have a look. Come and see. And I love the ease of that, that she doesn't have to have it all taped up. But she says, come and see. And you might know the end of the story if, you, if this story's new to you and you don't. Have a look at it when you get home. Because um, the disciples have been in the village buying food and no one's become a Christian. <laughs> and this woman goes, in with, goes into the village with a question and loads of people come back and they're like, we believe. Not just because of what you've said, uh, referring to the woman but because of the revelation we have had ourselves. And so curiously participant and full of wonder and questions, this is a journey of ordinariness to extraordinariness. A very ordinary scenario transformed by a woman who is willing to ponder a few things and who's willing to sort of put her life in as a yes and who's willing to do stuff even though she's not got it all taped up and all like tidied away. And many in the town believed because of her. And many in the town believed. I want to be someone that has a story like that, that can take my partial understanding and for many in the town to believe. Now, if we were running a, an evangelist course, would, would she be the first one you'd pick? She would be now, wouldn't she? But you might have overlooked her in the beginning. And uh, Jesus did not overlook her, and he does not overlook us. However ordinary our life is, however a little bit, uh, you know, unironed out our theology might be at the moment, his invitation is, come on. Come and be with me. Come and bring me your questions. And go and bring some people back. Go and bring some people back to come and see me. And so, if we want to grow with God, let's not wait for everything to be certain, to have answers to every difficult question and every pain in our heart. Let's bring our difficult questions and the pains in our hearts before Jesus and allow him to fill us with this extraordinary presence of his that he describes as living water. Why don't you stand and I'll say a prayer for us. And then there's one more thing to pray about after that. So pre let's present ourselves before God. And uh, if you would like the Holy Spirit to stir up a spiritual thirst in you, 
if you're inspired to be like this woman and go and bring people to meet Jesus. Put yourself in this prayer. Holy Spirit, come among us now and we lay open before you the joys and the difficulties of our story. We lay open our understanding and our misunderstandings. And we ask you, Lord, send your living water. Send your living water to bubble up in us. And just take a moment to imagine yourself in that story and imagine Jesus before you. And just as he gives living water to that woman, without measure, he gives it to you. And we'll read it from Colossians. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. So set your eyes on things above. Lord God, send your Holy Spirit to reveal to us the truth of who you are. The truth of who we are as your children. That we might not be trapped by the bucket, the well, the pensions and extensions, God, but we might drop those things to say, come and see a man who told me everything I'd ever done. We receive your grace, God, and we receive your Holy Spirit. <laughs>